Capes and Crooks, a superhero RPG utilizing core 5th edition rules with a unique twist. Take on the role of your own superhero, or villain. Completely customizable origins, powers, and enhancements. Utilize advanced technology to aid in your mission. Join us in Cobalt City and the ultra-modern world of Terra. Dive into the political intrigue and chaos of a world still adjusting to superpowered citizens. In a world where what is right and what is the law often conflict, how will you choose to use your powers and conceal your identity? Capes and Crooks is a complete RPG game with everything you need to create a super experience sure to delight your players. It includes over 300 pages of content with full color illustrations. There will always be good and evil, light and dark. There will always be Capes and Crooks. Now live on Kickstarter, please become a backer today and share with your friends. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Austin. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. I want to thank everyone for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like a plane without mana. And I'm not talking the airplane. (laughs) uh as you can tell this is a very exciting uh day for us we are on the awesome and wonderful goodman games twitch if you're watching there uh thank you very much in addition to our regular platforms we are had a lot of fun this weekend at dungeon con dungeon con online and it's been a a real blast um so thank you to everyone this episode will run a full two hours from 7 p.m to nine ish so Eastern. Uh, it's going to be a little longer than normal, but hopefully you guys will enjoy all the content. Before we get into our main topic, I want to talk a little bit about um, today. Normally, we roll in and choose all of our subscribe out of our subscribers, our winners of our fat loot. We will be giving away two sets of products today: one adventure bundle with our six-player options, as well as we'll be giving away a copy of our. Wonder uh, Whitaker's Well of Wondrous Magic Items. Once again, we will be picking from the live studio or live uh, studio audience. So uh, when we get to those moments, I will have my boy Ian here follow the chats, and we'll give you guys a call out when you respond, and then we'll pick somebody from random. Yeah. And I'm so I'm super excited for that. So that's going to be pushed uh, a little bit farther into the show. I also mm-hmm. want to give a a, a quick. Uh, Announcement that our Capes and Crooks D&D 5e Superhero RPG uh, Kickstarter officially has a launch date of June 29th, so we are super excited. I want to give a huge thank you to any uh, of the players that came from Dungeon Con and gave me some feedback. It's the first time I didn't have biased feedback because, you know... My patrons and my my players all are are biased when making uh, feedback, so it was really great to hear great, exciting feedback. So that wasn't uh, have some motives behind it. So thank you guys. Um, With that, um, we are going to move into our main topic: Plane Shift Magic: The Gathering D and D settings. I'm super excited for this. In fact. (laughs) 
Wizards of the Coast has already kind of been delving into this a little bit because they've already released two completed settings, if I'm not correct. Which, uh, what were the the two settings? Was it uh, Theros? Uh, yep, Theros is one, and, and Ravnica was the yes. other. And both of which are amazing settings if you want to change from the more traditional Forgotten Realms setting. Um, so they did something even better, though. Um, and I think it was kind of leading up to these because um, they've been around for a little bit. Uh, but they released what was called uh, Plane, Chef, uh, Plane Shift um, Setting Supplements. Mm-hmm. So for those that don't know, uh, Ian, what is a, a Plane Shift? Basically, Plane Shift covers like a... In- the uh, various things I mentioned, The Gathering. And D&D and Magic The Gathering, they're obviously two different games, but they're both developed by Wizards of the Coast. And that also means that, that their multiverses can meet, potentially. Because traveling from one plane to another is something that's firmly established in both games. That yeah, is. absolutely. You can, uh, specifically, uh, one of the biggest, uh, and one of the first plane shift they made was called was Zendikar, which basically, in and of itself, was conceived as an adventuring world where parties of explorers, you know, delve into ancient ruins in, in search of wonders and treasures and fighting monsters. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, they encountered along the way and many of the planes creative roots lie in dungeons and dragons, which is why it was such a great idea when they first did the plane shift to start with that one. Um, they, it really came from, uh, the art of magic, the gathering Zendikar by James Wyatt. That feels a lot like a DND setting book when you start flicking through the pages because it's chock full with adventure hooks, story seeds, but it lacks any specific rules references, which makes it perfect for any edition of Dungeons and Dragons or any other fantasy style roleplay game, mm-hmm. which is just perfect if you're wanting to expand out into something else, but not necessarily go through the trouble of fleshing out a world yourself. Um, and it's worth noting too that many of the supplements they put in the documents cover here's how the, these classes might blend into the setting here's how the races might might go in there here's some races that are unique to the thing that you can play as they give you exactly. plenty of options yeah there's a lot um austin did you uh want to elaborate a little bit um on that for us absolutely so kind of like a, a very easy segue into it uh you can think of plane shift supplements as kind of like a book designed to help uh take existing magic the gathering like setting details and stories uh, contained in the books and turn them into basically your own kind of D&D setting campaigns or other RPG campaigns. Um, it's the easiest way to approach a D&D campaign setting on Zendikar, for example, is to use the rules that D&D provides mostly as written. Uh, a druid on Zendikar, for example, might call on green mana and cast spells like giant growth, but they're still just a druid in the D&D rules, perhaps just casting giant insect. Yeah, um, that's a, a really good uh, point you make there because um, we keep mentioning Zendikar because of all the settings that we're going to talk about, that's the one that is already close to the, the fantasy kind of genre. It's pretty, like, um, it's almost one-to-one, honestly. Yeah. Like, it the, the the settings that you're a part of is, like, you know, floating islands, deep caverns, literal dungeons that you can just delve into and right, right. just, yeah. The uh, the plane shift uh, supplement 
particularly was made for fifth edition DD rules um that you can find in these you know fantastic supplements um but DD is a flexible rule system designed to you know model any kind of fantasy world so the DD magic system won't involve the five colors of mana or ramping up your most powerful spells but yes. the goal isn't to mirror the experience of magic the gathering um in your role playing the point is to experience the world's of magic in a new way through the lens of the D&D rules or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever RPG you're using. But the supplements we are uh, uh, covering um, do have additional kind of touches that are based on 5th uh, edition, uh, specifically monsters, classes, um, and, and, and the, the races. I don't know that there's any classes. I think they're all like uh, yeah. monster options and player options and I stuff like so. that. I believe so. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, it basically gives you everything yeah. you need to build a campaign. Mm-hmm. Certainly gives you a starting point to go off of, without question. Right. And finally, as we kind of said a little bit earlier, the Art of Magic the Gathering books can help you create the D&D campaign throughout these various settings. And you, But that said, you don't necessarily need the books themselves to make use of the material. You can also go to the Magic the Gathering website and pick through the lore that already is posted there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you are interested in, in following along as we do this, um, you can head on over to uh, CritAcademy.com slash post slash episode 222. Um, we have all the links to each of these Magic the Gathering uh, plane shift supplements that are available for free over at DMs Guild. So if any mm -hmm. of these sound like something that really would is something you want to include, um, you can uh, fly over there and, and pick them up just for their lore and flavor, if nothing else, mm -hmm. uh, which is, is just great. Um, so the first world we're going to talk about is Amon Cat. Um, this actually is probably uh, of all of them is probably my second favorite. Um, you know, towering gold encrusted monuments yeah. break the unending monotony of a horizon, a horizon formed of sun blasted sand, awe inspiring animal headed gods walk among the people offering them care and protection from the horrors of the desert. Does that sound familiar? I'm totally getting some mummy vibes mm -hmm. um, in the Egyptian theme, which is totally where this goes. Uh -huh. You have a, a w wide, life-giving river offers its abundant bounty, providing the for every physical need. Happy, hopeful people offer sacrifices in grand temples dedicated to their benevolent gods, addressing their spiritual needs. For they know that this as a wonderful as it might be, is just the beginning. A prelude to the perfection that awaits them in the afterlife, promised to them by their god, Pharaoh. <laughs> yep. And I'm okay itself is a plane that has a lot of dichotomy to it. And we have, like, the, the lush river valley that that goes through it, but there's also the endless scorching desert surrounding it. And there's also a cursed mummies that roam the desert. Well, carefully embalmed mummies attend to the needs of the living in the glorious city-state. And the people there have everything they need. They are protected from the desert heat and the wandering mummies by a barrier called the Hekma. And they live their lives in focused training, honing body and mind to perfection. And yet, they eagerly anticipate the time when they will be permitted to die in combat and leave this world behind. Yeah, on the surface, Amonkhet seems like a like a pretty marvelous place to live in, right? I mean, it's d cities of gold, essentially, in this, you know... Uh, Th this like wasteland essentially 
but something unsettling and nefarious always lurks behind the grand facade. The wise and benevolent god pharaoh, said to be busy preparing the wondrous afterlife for the worthy, is actually Nicole Bolas, the malevolent dragon planeswalker whose schemes far reach beyond this plane. And all the preparation and training, all the trials and contests, all the effort to be made worthy, all of this is meant to prepare the people of Amonkhet for transformation into an undead army under Bolas's command. This is kind of the whole thing where we're like, yeah, like, remember, things tend to interplane frequently. A lot, right. <laughs> and uh, this is one of those cases where, unfortunately, for most people here, it's not a not always a good thing <laughs> <laughs> right um so uh before we get into uh all these supplements have something uh we uh, coined as like a feature of note but before mm. i get into that what did you guys think overall was there something that jumped out in this this um supplement besides the obviously awesome story of a giant god dragon pharaoh are you kidding me who's also right. a total douche <laughs> Like, um, it's pretty great. Is there anything that jumped out at you guys in this supplement? I really like the, uh, like the, um, like backgrounds, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the initiate. So you're pretty much on the path of completing the trials of the five gods in hope of earning a glorified death in the yes. final trial of zeal. Like those guys are cool, man. Like they're trying to go in and they're. You know, they're like a hand-to-hand specialist. They have uh, proficiency in athletics and intimidation, very soldier-like. But the feature is your life is oriented around your participation in the five trials that will determine your worthiness in the afterlife. When you prepare for and undergo the trials, you have constant access to training. A comfortable place to live and regular meals are provided to you by servitor mummies, the anointed, uh, under the supervision of viziers. And you can enjoy the benefits as long as you obey the societal norm, which, uh, you know, just do your job. (laughs) It's not hard. Obey the orders of the gods, of course, and if you violate the norms, you risk being treated as a dissenter. See the trials of the five gods for more information on that. And uh, pretty much uh, don't be a dissenter. (laughs) Yeah, so it's so cool because... Um, you take on these combative survival trials, and they attack mm-hmm. at the – I think they're called the people of uh, Noctuman, where they yeah. start as young as the age of five. Like, very like, can you uh, imagine having a background that started at the age of five? It's very, like, uh, like Spartan-like, where they, they, like, build their warriors when they're children, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So – one thing that I really uh, thought was um, great is all the variety of humans. Yes. Um, that was something that really stood out because I feel like humans kind of get the short end of the lore stick sometimes. And they really went out with the fi- yeah. these five uh, – or these, these – this fantastic new take on the, the – the, the humans. Mm-hmm. Um, they, of course, have, like, the Avens, which are, like, flying Aarakocra-type people, um, yeah. which I assume... That it seemed like the, the stats were similar, but they do get some differences, depending if it's a, a, a hawk head or an ibis head or whatever the, the bird type mm-hmm. is, which is a subtle difference. So I like those little changes. They are also um, frighteningly much more man than bird. <laughs> yeah. Like, just it's, the head and, it's a little and the wings. That's it, yeah. <laughs> At least the Aarakocra's got, like, talons and stuff, right? Yeah, they... They look a little more like a bird. <laughs> so, the other thing I wanted to talk about the Amukat before we uh, move on looks like uh, the five gods actually create domains for clerics. 
which I think is really, really cool as a player. It gives you more op, uh, options for clerics in their different domain, whether it's the solidarity domain or mm-hmm. the uh, they do have some that are uh, just like repeats, like you have the knowledge domain, but then you have uh, uh, the strength domain, I think, which is a different mm-hmm. one and get the Rona's blessing. That certainly Rona sounds like a disease. Oh, it's because it is. They're like snake headed people, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Cobra headed God of strength. You are correct. Yeah. What I'd like to, to move on from is I'd like to talk about the supplement feature of note here. Um, now, when we say the, the the feature of note, this is something that the setting has that I haven't seen in any other um, settings or something that in and of itself can be brought into your stories and campaigns at a very powerful level um, to change the way it feels. And in the uh, Amon Ket setting, we have... The Curse of the Wandering, which is just fantastic. Sorry, I think everyone just left and my dog is having an anxiety attack. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like. <laughs> so the, the so let's talk about what the curse of the wandering is. Uh, the great it's it, in Amuket. It's the greatest danger of the desert lands. Uh, a creature killed in the desert rises again as a zombie as soon as the moisture has dried from its flesh. As a result, the corpses of every kind of desert creature shamble across the dunes alongside the humanoid zombies of the dissenters who are exiled uh, or other would-be explorers. Explorers. Most of these former humanoids are mindless marauders with statistics of the mummy in the monster manual, mm-hmm. though some tales speak of mummies that have retained their sinister intelligence and even magical ability becoming mummy lords. Which, Very much so reminds me of like a, a lich, but just on yes. a much smaller scale. <laughs> so what do you th- what do you think about this curse of the wandering? I think you could see the the fun part would be like you know if a player had died in like this desert right, and mm-hmm. you know they leave and you know eventually come back and they're like oh my god it's him but he's dead and walking around and not on our team anymore <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's like the obvious one, but... Right. Well, the thing that I think is the coolest is that it affects everything. Mm -hmm. Everything that dies in the desert. So that instantly means you can have a mummy version of every single monster in the monster manual. Right? Undead dragons! (laughs) The one thing of note um, I want to point out is mummies have an attack called uh, the Rotting Fist. And this instantly makes... Every single monster that has this so much more deadly. If you don't know, not only is it necrotic damage, but the person must succeed a con save or become cursed by the mummy rot. Um, This means they can't regain hit points. And its hit points decreases every 24 hours that elapses. So they are slowly rotting away. And you can only get rid of it with remove curse spell or a similar magic. Oh my god, that makes a horde of zombie goblins, even at level 20, is terrifying because they will eventually drain you. No, into... I need to hit you once. Yes. But if each of them hit you, I mean, that's that's hey. terrifying. Yeah, because yeah. Um, if your hit point maximum hits zero, you just die. There's no yep. death saves or anything because you don't have a max. You, do, you don't have a max health <laughs> to, yes. to, uh, to go over. So the uh, you don't just... You just kind of die outright. If you had one hit point, that'd be different. 
because then right. something has to deal two damage to you and technically it's over and you die. Yeah. But zero is zero. <laughs> you can't get past that. <laughs> Ian, what do you think? Bash is nasty. <laughs> I also want to just say, if you fought the big bad evil guy in the middle of the desert, uh, drag him somewhere not in the desert. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> he's just going to come back and kick your butt. He's going to come back um, stronger and even more mortal. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> if you would like to follow along in our show notes, you can head on over to CritAcademy.com slash post slash episode 222. Um, the other thing is worth noting, Mummy's also a dreadful glare, which can frighten and stun a person. So... You're basically just going to make a terrifying world out in the desert, um, which makes them the primary, very much like a zombie apocalypse sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that'll do it for Amon Ket. I love the Egyptian theme. I love the the fact that Nicol Bolas, this evil dragon god guy, is very manipulative, by the way, mm-hmm. which pr- promises all this stuff, and he's basically just waiting for you to die so you can come back as his personal army, which is why, the, yeah. the uh, in my mind, the wandering curse is so prevalent on this plane. And I like the fact, too, that there's a stereotype of Egyptian tombs, which, to me, Mm -hmm. lays the groundwork for a lot of of dungeon ideas right there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Stealing powerful artifacts from the dead and whatnot. Traps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not saying that's a good idea, but I'm saying that is a thing you can do. (laughs) Um, All right, so next we're going to talk about Dominera. Now, this one's very different than the rest of the planes, I think. Yeah. Um, Dominaria is an enormous plane with numerous land masses separated by vast oceans. If I remember right, something I read was somewhere around 80 plus percent of the planet is like water and yeah. everything is like a, a, a collection of, you know, islands basically. Um, and this supplement uh, focuses on the continent of Irona, which is it uh, and its surrounding lands, which are collectively known as domains. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, that's you. Sorry. All right, and an area that is the continent is a split between its northern and southern parts, and the division is marked by a wide bay and a foreboding mountain range. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah the uh, southern part of Arona is dominated by Benalia, the foremost mercantile and military power on Dominaria. Man, they have a lot of names that sound the same. <laughs> uh, it spreads along the western coast and out to the nearby islands, including the Isle of Avenant to the north and much of the Spice Isles to the west. Though most famous for their fertile fields, the lands of Benalia also include old-growth forests, rolling mountains, and a lengthy coastline. Yeah. Um, The one thing I really like, the skies above uh, Benalia are actually dotted with, like, curved floating spires of the Church of Sarah, Mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite, like... It's a popular angel card in D&D, which I love, or not D&D, in Magic the Gathering, uh, <laughs> uh, with heavy concentration of them above the Benalia city. Uh, in stark contrast, though, to the uh, um, benevolent churches, agents of Belzenlock, a cabal, have been infiltrating Benalia from their stronghold to the east in Urborg, which are some nasty, nasty beasts. <laughs> I also want to say, like, on the, the little, like, like globe map that we have, yeah, like, it really is just so much water. <laughs> yeah, it's great crazy. if you're looking for a, a nautical theme uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of oh, adventure definitely. where travel between uh, two domains is prevalent, right? Yep. Yeah. And south and east of Nalia lie the impassable tangles of the Nanawar Forest, which is piped by... Diverse elven societies that are threatened by the goblins and orcs of the Iron Claw Mountains. 
That's a pretty hardcore uh, name. And, of and that's yeah, that's pretty uh, that's pretty uh, common too. That's a really good fitting theme for yeah. another D and D setting. If you want to run a group of all elves and deal with the 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 kind of the political climate that involves you know them being constantly assaulted by the Iron Claw orcs and goblins, you could do that in a, in this setting and then expand out from it. the The land passes through uh, Benalia though to the east coast of Aronia is virtually impo- impossible. Thanks to the peaks of the Iron Claws. But the Banalish are a pre, uh, pre, preeminent, sorry, preeminent naval power in the region. By informal but frequently reiterated agreement, the Banal, uh, Banalish ships stay out of the Voda Sea and the mere folk of Vodalia allow shipping, pass, uh, shipping to pass along Arona's Coastlines largely unhindered. I like this because now we've just added another layer to the political climate. You can pass the sea so long as the mere folk are okay with it. So as soon as you start some stuff and piss them off, I can quickly see all the ships from a uh, particular group or faction being Mm -hmm. assaulted every time they go to sea and start disappearing and affecting trade and causing, you know... Um, you know, hunger on a massive scale for and 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 spread of like plagues and stuff because they can't get resources because you done pissed off the merfolk. You done goofed. Don't want to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, don't piss off the uh, the beings that control water in a water based world. Just say right, right. And this command of the Ariana's southern coast allows the. Knowledge to maintain a permanent presence in the Cersei on the east coast of the continent. God, I love these proper nouns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to the northeast of Benalia are the Red Iron Mountains, so which uh, divide the more sparsely populated northern half of Arona from the lands to the south. The mountains' native Crookshank kobolds fared poorly during the chaos of the Rift Years, and the mountains are now dotted with Benalish mining settlements. Which means, as you might have guessed, a lot of rare metals, gold, all sorts of fun stuff in there. Oh yeah, which which is really great if you like to have those uh, a great kind of setting area if you got those players who love to craft their own weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, using this sort of setting, um, you can. It's already kind of. I love the Crookshank, by the way. That's an awesome name. It's um, hilarious. So kudos name. to k- kudos to whoever came up with that. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a great setting uh, area if you want to really explore the different risks of adventure out and finding these rare uh, elements. Now. There's more here than I originally uh, thought, so um, instead of reading all, there's there's several other different domains. We're not going to go into the the details of them. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a lot. It's wor- <laughs> uh, yeah, I do think it's worth uh, noting that there is an entire academy, um, which is all basically like uh, like a wizard's academy. I think, uh, which is a pretty cool. Um, kind of, if you want to go with like a Harry Potter style theme, <laughs> I think it's the Tolarian Academy. I think is what yes, that is. Yes, Tolarian, yep. Um, they, I think they focus a lot on like the uh, gizmos and gadgets. Uh, yeah, and, actually, uh, one of the uh, one of the pictures is like a a woman with like her eyes all red and stuff because it's like <laughs> being like fused with some stuff. It's real weird. <laughs> Get really uh, very experimental. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of different things. We do have a feature of note here that we want to talk about. But was there anything in this supplement that jumped out at you guys? Hey, I just like the fact there's lobster people here. Just saying. <laughs> the what are those? The Hamarids. The Hamarids? Yep. That's pretty cool. And they're constantly at war with the merfolk, because of course they are. 
I just like the history behind all this because there was like we just talked about like like we barely touched it. We just glossed over oh, right. like the rift years. We were talking about like uh, in this supplement specifically, there's a bunch of like different heroes from Benalia and Talaria. And just mm-hmm. you can just see like the actual just rich amount of history in this particular right. setting. Um, so. If you like the homebrew monsters, I like I think this setting lends itself really well because um, the world is populated by these special reptilian creatures called Kavu and they come in thousands of varieties. So you could have a Kavu that looks the exact same as the one next to it, but one can spit fire and the other one can hypnotize somebody. So if you like to kind of dip your feet in the experimenting of creating your own kind of monsters, running a short campaign in the setting is a really great way to do that because the players and the characters that adventure might run into Kavus over and over and over, but it'll never, it can never necessarily be the same type, Mm -hmm. even if it's the same level and looks the same, which will throw your players for a loop and a challenge. I I believe that. Believe it. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, too much Naruto of me. Um, the feature of note that we chose was the domains. The continent of uh, Arona is split into the domains, as we mentioned. Um, and this supplement contains very in-depth details on each of the domains. The the natural and architectural beauty of uh, Benalia, the graceful curved floating towers of the Church of Sarah, or the mages' Tolarian aca- academics of magic and science. Mm-hmm. Each is given details on the domain's overall alignment, suggested races, background and classes that go well with the the domain these even include suggested ideals bond and bonds to fit with the setting theme though the characters aren't really restricted to this um and to me that's one of the coolest things about this for instance you have the lanaware we mentioned the lanaware elves so it actually gives you a little sig- uh, segment on lanaware quests mm-hmm. so and there's a little uh d6 table you can roll on and one example is track down an interloper who managed to escape punishment for crimes against the forest perhaps even just trespassing in the area which is very cool because that gives you a quick random generator not only that you can use for this setting but you can rip that out directly just change the names and toss it into your setting, which makes it very valuable. Um, additionally, you've got the Lanaware sites. These are uh, a D10 table of places of note. So uh, you might roll a seven, get a sinister looking tower made of a, from a dead tree, which I just think is fantastic. Um, and then they also even have one for villains, uh, the mm-hmm. Lanaware villains. This one might, uh, you roll a, what is it, a seven here? A necromancer wants to use the spirits of the elven dead that are said to guard the uh, the Hedrasel to destroy the elves entire, entirely. So now you've got a story of a villain who is basically using this power from the dead to kill their living. Like that's, is that not the coolest thing ever? Uh, What did you guys think about the way they laid out the, the domains in this? Uh, Where do I start? (laughs) Uh, Like, uh, cause I've been uh, looking at the church of Sarah specifically. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, they're like, there's stuff about the cleric that you can do monks that you can do paladin that you can do. Uh, and again, all the suggested ideals and bonds. Uh, like I, I was looking at one of the villains as a Sarah angel has been corrupted by the demonic power of the cabal. Oh, nice. Uh, and like the Sarah angels are apparently, uh, kind of commonplace, uh, within mm-hmm. like the churches themselves. And sometimes they can just do a, a ton of just interesting stuff. Like there's, there's so much, and this is just one domain and it's just, wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
It gives a lot of detail. Ian? Yes, it Th- does. There is definitely quite a few domains you can go through, no question about that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure why I'm moving along here, so I'm not going to add in too much, so. Okay, sounds good. Sure. Um, so yeah, uh, that is the, um, the plane of Dominira, Dominaria, Dominaria, I don't, who knows? I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> you would say it however you want. I'm sure there's some, uh, magic, uh, person out there. It's not how you say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for the next plane, I think we all can relate, especially with Richton's guide to Ravenloft that just came out. That just came out. Yeah. Uh, Innistrad. On the plane of Innistrad, horror stalk the shadows and scratch at doors in the night. Humanity is beset on all sides. Vampires thirst for human blood. Werewolves live for the thrill of the hunt. The restless spirits of the dead haunt the living, and no corpse is safe from reanimation at the hands of cruel necromancers or cunning scientists. That's the last part's a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Only their grim determination and their staunch faith in the protection of their patron are Angel Avison has allowed humans to survive in this nightmarish realm. Basically, they took the Universal Monster franchises and cranked it up to 11. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in a nutshell. And the, also, the people of Instra here are surrounded by monsters. Without exception, anything that's not human, be it a rat or even an angel, potential enemy. Even <laughs> the traditional allies, from the angels and griffs to herons and hounds, are not quite reliable in regards to alliances at best, as the madness that grips the angel seems to seep into every living being. Yeah, that's right. Madness affecting angels. And at the same time, humanity's age-old enemies just keep getting more and more powerful. Yeah, the specific horrors uh, that the people of Innistrad fear most are all reflections of humanity's darker nature. Still, the most dreadful creatures of Innistrad lurk within human towns and cities, pursuing their twisted schemes and unholy desires in the heart of civilization. These are the humans that have been consumed by Innistrad's darkness. Sinister cultists give themselves over to demons and other dark forces. And even among the common folk in, on Innistrad, as on every plane, some simply give in to the selfish desire and violent rage, killing with knife and garrote rather than sorcery. <laughs> Pretty much, this whole place is just like scary as hell. Yeah, it, this is like your your gothic horror setting that, uh, except it's instead of just one town, and it's like, oh wow, we could just skip that place because you know we could do that. Uh, no, this <laughs> is the, the whole, whole fucking plane. plane. <laughs> this is the whole plane of existence. It is all just uh, bad. <laughs> right now, think about berserk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a good example. Um, the one thing that I really liked about this is this campaign setting actually encourages all the players uh, to be only humans, uh, mm-hmm. yep. because everything else is trying to kill you. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and that makes it ever more interesting because it's no question that humans are considered the weakers, generally the weaker of like all the sentient races for a myriad of different reasons. Um, and I know that some players hate when options are uh, pulled away from them, but I think that this is a, a good setting where you could get a lot out of the fact that everyone's a human and really play the role of when somebody isn't human, uh, the kind of fear and, and distrust that that comes with them not being their own kind, which kind mm-hmm. of pushes that whole speciesism, right? Where they don't uh, get along just because they're different. 
And it's worth noting, too, though, that they do give you multiple options for humans, Mm -hmm. depending on where they're from, so. Yes, uh, so you're not stuck with the same uh, limited features yeah um, i think for instance with the uh the tensia which are countless generations of hardship and proximity to vampire stronghold strongholds leading to the lost children and neighbors have taught the tensians to guard their hearts they are proud and fervent in their beliefs and seem br- uh, brisk or even cold to other people in the provinces and this means you get a tough feature which your hit point max is increased by two and it increases by two every time you gain a level as well as daunting you have proficiency and in intimidation so while you it does encourage everyone to be human as ian pointed out they all get different features to choose from which is a very good way to make the human more versatile based on their experiences and the the regions that they came from and honestly if i was to uh if i wanted to run uh, another campaign or when i started another campaign i might even just include these um just to make the forgotten realms uh, humans more versatile, right? Because mm-hmm. so, kind of like the whole point, anyway. Right, right, and that's and it, are, these, like, do, it does people. a really good job of that. Um, anything that really jumped out at you, Austin? Uh, yeah. So let's just go straight to the sanity stuff real quick. So when <laughs> oh, it starts hey, to drop hey, below, oh, you're what? talking about the the madness thing. Yeah. Or something else? That's our feature of note. Is there some before we get into that? Is there something else you want to talk about? No, because that's the one. That's so good. Okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll allow it. Well, I was gonna say All we right. can skip it for now because there is the uh, Strahd is technically here. Is Apparently, he? yeah, he's yeah. uh, well, kinda. I mean, Strahd von Zarovich, the Strefin Morer, is a parallel of Strahd, essentially. Ah, uh, okay. He's very so he's similar. Slightly, so basically, you can use the same stat block and everything about him. Uh, kind of. It's the same picture, even. Yeah, it's even the same picture they put in here. <laughs> uh, unchanged from the statistics of Curse of Strahd Adventure, except that he lacks the vampire weaknesses feature. Instead, Trevor has weaknesses shared by the Innistrad vampires, and there's it's in the earlier section. But yeah, he's right, basically right. Strahd is in here. <laughs> I was surprised nobody wanted to talk about the Necro Alchemists, because that is cool as hell. Yeah. <laughs> like, the image of this Necro Alchemist looks like a mad scientist guy, and he's even got the, the big giant switch for bringing, you know, Frankenstein monster to life, uh, which is pretty, pretty cool. They recommend just using the mage stat block and reflavoring it, but man, mm-hmm. that is really, really cool. Uh, this does give you a variety of different, like, um, types of mages. Um, whether it's the Necro uh, Alchemist or the Ghoul Callers, um, they really did a good job giving some really great flavor to those different uh, different varieties and even going beyond to separate witches and cults and stuff. So if you're really looking for good kind of backstory and theme for uh, an upcoming you know, group of evil mages or cultists or li- uh, witches, this is a good supplement and you can find some good stuff inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um as we mentioned, there's a lot of stuff in these. I wish I could go more, but we do have to pick our, our features of note. And even though I was going to talk about it, Austin seemed very excited. So why don't you tell us about our supplement uh, feature of note for Innistrad? Sure. So, of course, we kind of just said it, but it's Emrakul's Madness. Uh, mm-hmm. And Emrakul's arrival and the madness that spreads across the plain around the Eldrazi Titan. A D&D campaign can take the setting beyond the traditional gothic horror. If you want to add elements of Emrakul's Madness to your campaign, use the Sanity Score rules in Chapter 9 of the DMG. Uh, it allows sanity character, or 
It allows characters to make sanity checks to interpret the effects of Emrakul's corruption and sanity saving throws to resist the effects of the spreading madness. Uh, mental corruption is not the only effect of Emrakul's presence on Innistrad, however, particularly after the Eldrazi, Eldrazi Titan fully emerges into the plane, the madness she brings is accompanied by physical mutation as well. Rather than unleashing hordes of spawn upon the world as the Eldrazi did on Zendikar, uh, Emrakul causes the living creatures of Innistrad to transform into her spawn, becoming warped and horrible fusions of normal and Eldrazi flesh. And so, this... And I'm pretty sure, as most people kind of figured out quickly, the Eldrazi species of Magic Gathering's version of, like, the Cthulhu-esque creatures, so... Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and it does have, like, a ton of... Because uh, it starts uh, to get bad when you get below 10. It goes from yeah. distorted, and then it gets to, like, you know, disfigured, misshapen, to downright monstrous. Yeah, it literally can turn you into like a Grimlock or a Troglodyte or Bullywalk mm -hmm. or something like that. Or a Mind Flayer, an awesome. Abolith. <laughs> it gets pretty bad as your your sanity. So the uh, the reason I think this makes for a fantastic uh, um, feature of focus is because, or feature of note, is because this sort of um, detail can be tossed into any uh, uh, setting to instantly become a prior campaign pro focus mm -hmm. where people are starting to shift and distort and twist. And it turns out that either this Eldrazi Titan or this Cthulhu-esque monster is being pulled or is arriving closer to the plane or the world. And it's starting to shape and change the world around, around everyone and creates this very interesting investigation style, horror detective style game all the while, the players and their characters themselves have to constantly ward off the effects or they start to change. And that, yeah. to me, just is cool as hell. That's like the old, the the good zombie flicks where somebody gets bitten but doesn't tell anybody. Like, if one player wakes up and you describe that, you notice on the back of your upper arm, a patch of flesh becomes transparent, revealing the twisting muscle underneath. Are they like gonna? They're not gonna like run up and say, "Hey, look what's happening to me." They're probably gonna keep right. that stuff to themselves, which is just gonna make it so much better later on. Mm -hmm. um, overall, do you? Th I mean, I think this nails the horror kind of theme. Uh, if you're going for that sort of Call of Cthulhu feel, for sure. Mm -hmm. Even just this one part, these couple pages of this forty-page document, is well worth picking up. Yeah, there's a lot to it. Did honestly. you guys have anything else about the uh, the Emrakul's madness? You should see the artwork of these corrupted things. Like yeah, this horse just... just looks like its flesh just melted off. It yeah. looks crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Tentacles are flailing out of its yeah, body. Yeah, it's and... all just. Yeah, yeah I'm not it's very sure, unnerving. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's but a person the in there somewhere with an axe. Like, it's... You're not really sure what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice the person on the back. <laughs> I think it's a person. I see an axe. That's what I saw. It, it might have been a person at one point. <laughs> like, um, Ian, did you have anything? I mean, like, the thing of note to me was, for the setting at least, is like, everybody who's supposed to be the good guys may not be. Because as we touched on, even the angels... Which, who were the, the warriors who protected the humans at, at this point, went insane and started nuking humans. So the church that worships right. them, like, oh, I guess that's what the angels want us to do now. So let's nuke the humans too. And they make it very clear <laughs> that there's divides within, within the church saying, do we have to though? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that brings in quite a few elements too that 
even the, <coughs> the single organizations are not united. Yeah. So, Ixalan. Yeah. Deep in the heart of Ixalan's uh, verdant jungle lies a treasure beyond imagining. Secure in the ancient golden city of Orozka, the immortal sun is an artifact of mythic power that promises boundless wealth, the strength of empire, command over nature, and eternal life. Who doesn't want to live forever? That sounds awesome. Uh, for centuries, it was only dimly remembered, veiled in legend, but now legend has become reality. And all the people of Ixalan seek the immortal sun and the power it promises. They will stop at nothing to claim it for themselves. It is very similar to, I believe, Zendikar, where it's just this kind of like naturally uh, like dungeon-styled setting. Or, except this time it's just verdant forests. I would say it's it's things. less like that because the the world is more um there's la there's there's more of spread of population uh than there is in Zendikar. But we'll touch on that yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um because there is there is something about this that really really does set it apart. Uh the merfolk of the River Heralds and the humans of the Sun Empire have shared the continent of Ixalan for ages, sometimes warring, sometimes in an uneasy peace. But outsiders, first the treasure-hungry pirates of the Brazen Coalition and now the sinister fleets of the Legion of Dusk have disrupted that delicate balance of power. And as the Legion of Dusk seeks to conquer Ixalan, all four peoples are catapulted into a desperate search for the Golden City and the treasure it holds. Yep. And the whole world just waits to be discovered. Ancient ruins from the Sun Empire's heyday can now be found overgrown and half-buried in the depths of the jungle. Sacred springs infused with magical power well up in the high mountainsides. And hidden coves hold pirate treasures stowed by captains long forgotten. Brave explorers yeah. from all four peoples uncover such sites as a scour Ixalan in search of the Golden City. And if you guys haven't yeah. figured it out by now yet, especially when you look at the artwork, this is kind of like a combination of the Aztecs slash Spanish conquistadors. Mm-hmm. And blended together to create its own. And this is actually an excellent time to also touch on the other thing thrown into the mix that helps make Ixalan's own. The dinosaurs. Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, you mentioned that it was similar to Zendikar. The only thing that I, th- uh, the one thing that I makes it significantly different, and Zendikar has uh, less um, major populated. S- areas while yeah. this one is more like uh they're very spread out so mm. you're more likely to run into civilization you hear but the same setting is the still still the same there are you know cities and stuff that have fallen have been overgrown and have uh been dropped away but there's much more variety i would say in the different cultures that i feel like zendikar doesn't quite have as much Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say I don't, and I might be just uh, misunderstanding that. I love the touch on the fact, like the Legion of Dust literally looks like conquistadors, like vampire they conquistadors. The, the, they got the, they got the ugly helmets and everything. <laughs> yeah. Also, they're vampires, um, and there's a stat block for you to be a vampire. <laughs> but now we have vampires, so I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Um, I want to. Bef- uh, so, uh, aside from the, the feature of note, which we are going to touch on, um, what is something else that you guys that jumped out at you, uh, Ian, that you thought was very, uh, um, excellent about this supplement to, that could be brought into, uh, somebody else's stories and campaigns? I think like some of the extra race options they have here, which pop up sometimes in some of the other supplements, but not always, 
Mm-hmm. Definitely adds some nice touches to it. Like, as we said, they give you options of how to play a vampire, which was yeah. available long before the most recent supplement came out. Yeah. Yes. I-, I do think it's worth noting. Uh, I agree with you. This gives you more character trait or more character options than others, including uh, a siren. Like, that's cool. <laughs> you can get the siren song feature. You can get flight, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and I really think that... Uh, that that little things like that are once again if you're not going to run the setting you can rip these stuff because they're written by wizards of the coast team members so um they're pretty well fleshed out and and um balanced so it gives you more options to offer to your players as well and i also want to mention too that like uh this setting document also includes a map of Ixalan in there which not all these do and gossamer change in the uh stream over at gubbing games is saying I like maps because I like the worlds. Yes. And they can be so inspiring too. Like there's nothing uh, for players that travel a lot, the player characters that travel a lot, having a map up and like attack point that shows progression makes the players also feel that progression. So the fact that it has a map mm. is pretty, pretty uh, a nice addition. Um, Austin, did you have anything? Uh, yeah. Um, I guess it ties in again with the feature of note, but like the dinosaur well, stat blocks are crazy. That's all I'm gonna say because we can get into it later. <laughs> yes, if we wanted uh, so, to. So, so let, let's let's go ahead and do that then. So the the feature of note is the dinosaurs, and dinosaurs are dominant form of life on Ixalan. The absolute rulers of the coastal lands held by the Sun Empire and the forces to be reckoned with just in the interior of the jungle. Uh, a number of the dinosaurs appear in the Monster Manual with even more to be found in the Volo's Guide, as well as this supplement uh, uh, ad enhance the Ixalan campaign setting. Mm-hmm. Though many of the dinosaurs in the Volo's Guide uh, also appear in the Tome of Annihilation, so keep that in mind. If you already have one book, you may not need to get the other one. Yeah. The the opening of Aura... Uh, somebody said this earlier, and I was proud of it. Aura Orozka, the Golden City, reveals the existence of six huge and elder dragons. I almost said dragons, dinosaurs, apparently preserved for centuries. Compared to their smaller cousins, they have less brightly colored plumage and are far more grayish and sinister. But their feathers are uh, a bright gold that matches the city uh, that's around them. They are strong-willed and ferocious and thus hard to control, but the power of the immortal sun gives the Sun Empire warriors who wield it with the ability to bring these elder dinosaurs under their command. Included in the stat blocks for this, inside of this supplement, the elder dinosaurs rocking a challenge rating 30. Are you kidding me? And you can control them if you just control the... Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, so the reason I think Ixalan is so cool, because I'm instantly thrown back to my childhood of the Flintstones, where everything functions by dinosaurs. Like you've got all these tall buildings, but you've got like a brontosaurus with like a, a, a little cart on its head and it just goes up and down as an elevator. Um, I think that that is just so, so cool. All the, all the carts are not being pulled by horses. They're being pulled by like velociraptors or, or some maybe lesser deadly creature. But um, I think that's what really sets Ixalan uh, apart. I think. And I do mm-hmm. think it's worth noting too that not only do they have the stat block just for elder dinosaurs in general but further down the list is six additional smaller stat blocks of each individual uh, of elder the dinosaur that says add this to the stat block for this guy. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
and the other thing that's really cool is they do give you a lot of flavor for the different types of dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Like, um, for instance, you have the horned herbivores. So it talks a little bit about, you know, the smaller herbivores are found in the plains of Ixalan. Rather than depending on the size for defense, these dinosaurs are protected by plated scales, you know, sharp horns. and sp- So it gives you the, the details of how to describe these to your players, especially with lore checks and just observational, you know, perception checks, which is really, really great for somebody who's like me and has to have, you know, it written out. Otherwise, I forget. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I understand and it does, that. of course, give you uh, recommendations for stat blocks to use for the different, you know, flesh eaters and the, the teeth and frills type monsters, which is really, really cool. Um, Austin, was there anything uh, you wanted to add to that? Because I know you're... Uh, I was just going to talk about the... the uh, Ian said it earlier, was the... Um, the different stat blocks that they have mm-hmm. and how that kind of like separates them. And I could just imagine being like, Oh man, we had to fight one of these and we all almost died. And there's five more of these that's being defended by the immortal sun. This is dumb. <laughs> We're not fighting these. <laughs> uh, it's very cool. Uh, we mentioned the elder dragons or dinosaurs. Dang it. The elder dinosaurs, there's uh they each got different names and they have, while they use the majority of the stat blocks the same, they do each have their own additional powers that are unique to them, yep. mm-hmm. which is really, really cool as well. Yep. So, uh, Alrighty, so I want to take this opportunity. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we were going to do a uh, uh, giveaway prizes. Um, so what we're going to do now for our first giveaway, um, Ian, I'll probably need your help on this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are going to be giving away a special prize um, now and another one later. Um, our heroes adventure bundle player uh, players uh, option. Now, if you don't know that we are best selling uh, DMs Guild authors and we've have a plethora of content. Um, so today we're going to be giving away the adventure bundle player option, which includes six complete player options um, from our website, including class archetypes, lore, and tables for enhancing each character story and background. Um, this one includes a blade dancer, which is a uh, a twist on the ranger uh, archetype. We have the circle of the river druid, which is very much changing parts of your body. So having a wolf claw in one hand and, you know, flailing tentacles in another. We have the school of binding, which is a true summoning class. We have the sky breaker fighter who can touch a creature and send them falling in the wrong direction. We also have the war mind cleric, very much in the mind of telekinesis and mental assault. And then, of course, we have the race. Uh, the Werecat, which is one of my favorite, and honestly, it's the only one I felt comfortable publishing with races because it's all about being able to shapeshift into a tiny little cat with connections and espionage. So we're going to be giving that away. If that sounds like something you're interested in, please in the chat below uh, type in uh, crit. Um, and uh, while we're going through this, Ian will keep track of how many we are, and we'll roll for one once we get to the end of the main topic and select a winner for that giveaway. Once then, you'll be uh, contacted to uh, collect your prize. Yeah. All right. Let us uh, move on to our next um, domain, which is uh, Keladash. Yes. Keladash is a living work of art, a vibrant, beautiful plane where anything is possible. Optimism, innovation, and the spirit of creativity fuel an intoxicating renaissance of invention and artifice across Keladash. Its inhabitants frequently assert that anything can be built, and brilliant inventors seem to prove that saying every single day. 
Oh, yeah. And clockwork automatons walk the streets, acting as servants and bodyguards, soldiers, sentries, and so forth. And uh, a few of them might even act as a monster pets. Airships provide transports both within and between cities and the villages of the plane, and carry prospectors high into the sky to draw on limitless reserves of the magical ether. Or ether. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, intricate and ornate whirling thopters flit over marketplaces, carrying messages, gathering information, and driving away gremlin infestations. Gremlin. Sorry. <laughs> uh, elegant interlocking gear mechanisms raise and lower uh, bridges over canals. Uh, exquisite tools gleam like jewelry incorporated into the bright and colorful fashions of artisans, prospectors, and inventors alike. In all these fabulous constructions, Intricate design and graceful beauty are prized almost as much as efficient function. Uh, the artifice that produces these works is viewed as the ultimate form of creative and intellectual expression. Uh, there's <laughs> a lot of swirls. There's a lot of glowing objects. Uh, it's almost uh, an adv- a slightly more magical version of steampunk. <laughs> Basically, yeah, um, and I believe if so I recall ca- correctly, they took a lot of the inspiration for the art design from like, um, like a, from India. So, oh yeah, I did. I hadn't even really noticed that. So, uh, very much Bollywood uh, brightness. Yep. Uh, Kaladash <laughs> owes its bright existence to the tangible presence of Aether, a raw form of magical energy that fills the space between the planes. Aether seeps into Kaladash and has become a critical part of the environment, as well as the foundation of contemporary civilization. The skies are full of it, the plants and the trees bend and twist to be closer to it, and flowing water trace patterns beneath it. The ingenious inventor Avati Via developed a way to refine the volatile aether into a potent and safe fuel, a process that has made all inventions and um, tools of the society possible. Um, so this is actually one of my, uh, the, remember I told you the other one was one of my second, this is probably my favorite setting because mm-hmm. brain power is power here, not brawn. Um, it's not brutish. It's everything. Uh, intellect, intellect rules right which means as a dm uh, and game master i can totally create so many different things and just say eh, it works by ether yeah. <laughs> like no matter how goofy or weird the device is um which is just super exciting to me before we get into the feature of note though was there anything that stood out about this plane um that you guys really uh thought was cool and was worth Note. I thought it's awesome they actually added a sorcerer origin, which is the Pyromancer. Yes. Um, anything uh, Anything particular about that sorcerer origin? Because I think what? this is the first one that actually had... Uh, 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 no, we did have the cleric domains earlier, so... Like, do I yes, really yeah, have to explain kind of why adding a sorcerer that does fire crap is awesome? Well, you know, I guess not. Is there any features about the Pyromancer that are pretty particular, particularly interesting? Well, let me see. Hard to fire when you cast a spell of first level or higher that does fire damage. Fire erupts from you, which causes creatures of your choice that you can see within 10 feet of you to take fire damage, equal to half your sorcerer level. You gain mm. resistance to fire damage, and you can ignore resistance when you a fire when you use fire damage. And that's just levels 1 through 6. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. I like that. We do what like about fire. you, Austin? So burn baby. In the same vein, actually, I like how uh, 
some of the classes are treated in here. So like fighters are common, you know, uh, they're kind of just everywhere. But monks are completely unknown. They, they, really? They don't quite really exist unless you want to create a monastic order found in one of the remote regions of the plane in this uh, in this plane. Uh, right. Same as like paladins. And even then, like they still would probably be viewed as a mage. You just happen to swing a sword really well. And they <laughs> outright say that clerics just don't exist in this setting. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's very like yeah, it, it's it's uh this is probably the setting where they're kind of viewed most differently, I guess. Mm-hmm. A lot of things just either simply like don't exist or they're viewed completely differently, such as like the paladins being viewed as basically mages. Yep. It's yeah. kind of crazy. <laughs> it's pretty weird. <laughs> It's all magic. <laughs> it's all magic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing that really drives uh, the story, the campaign setting, in, uh, to interest for me is uh, in the mo- main storyline of Kel Kadash block. Um, you have what's basically the Aether re- Revolt, right? Um, there mm. is an out and out rebellion of renegades when the consulate government takes a kind of an oppressive turn. Um, mm-hmm. And the campaign focusing on this revolt might put the player characters in a position of renegades trying to capture an Aether Reservoir or uh, masterminding uh, uh, and sabotage of some of the consulate airships. Um, and this really can make for a very... Uh, intrigue and mystery focused style play. Um, especially if you got a, this would be really great if you got a group of like players that want to play like thieves and rogues. This would be a really great setting for that because it's set up with these internal factions kind of struggling over what's going on, and the the players can kind of take on the uh, agents of of one of these factions and trying to you know ruin the plans of the other ones, which I think is just uh, a really great if you want to go into that very uh, Ocean's Eleven kind of heist style uh, game gameplay. Mm-hmm. So, well, with that said, let's talk about the the features of notes. Here we have a campaign that uses uh, has some feats. There are some nice options for player characters. Um, they can gain these additional abilities uh, related to the Aether and Invention directly. Uh, I want to talk about quicksmithing. Remember, we talked about the the whole area is all about knowledge. So, of course, you're going to have some stuff that represents high intellect, right? So, quicksmithing, you have mastered the art of on-the-fly invention, improvement, and jury-rigging. You can use your talents to create immediate short-term magical effects similar to spells given time and adequate supply of aether. So when you choose this feat, you can choose two magical effects, each of which recreates, uh, yeah, two magical effects, which each of which recreates the effects of a first level spell that has the ritual tag. This spell can come from any class list, but intelligence is your spell ability modifier. Austin, would you like to tell us about servo crafting? Sure. Uh, so servo crafting, uh, you are skilled in the creation of servoses or servos, uh, tiny constructs that function as basically personal assistants. You know, servos, servants. No, uh, I got it. <laughs> you can cast <laughs> the fine familiar spell as a ritual, creating a servo to serve as your familiar instead of an animal. A servo That's statistics cool. appear in the artifact creatures section of this document, uh, and in every other way, a servo function uh, has similar functions to the uh, fine familiar spell. You can communicate telepathically with it and perceive through its senses as long as you're on the same plane of existence. Uh, you can speak through your servo in your own voice. 
That's cool. And additionally, when you take the attack action, you can forego one of your own attacks to allow your servo familiar to make one attack of its own. That makes it better than the regular find familiar spell. Yeah. Find familiar, you can't do that. I would say it's closer to the chain of the pact uh, warlock. Uh, I would agree. Yeah. Feature than anything else. Very, very similar to the to that one specifically. What do you think about these, Ian? I just like the, sh- the sheer visuals, as I said before, of this setting and these feats, I think, help feed that setting even more. Of There's lots of constructs. There's lots of like, clockwork <laughs> devices, creatures, mm-hmm. what have you. And this just, yeah. like I said, builds onto that even more. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I, I love this. I thought this was cool. I think it's the only one I saw feats in. Um, but it's very thematic, which is perfect for the um, Keladash kind of campaign setting and they also do one or two more race options as well such as like the the vidalcan so yeah i do think uh this works really well if you if you're running artificers in your game i think tossing this in as a feat would be really really uh, a great addition not only for maybe access to the uh, artificer but to anybody else that kind of wants to play the the tinkerer side of things but not take the artificer class so Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Um, all right, that'll do it for uh, Keladash. Next, we'll go on to uh, Zendikar. Uh, we've already mentioned Zendikar several times. Uh, Zendikar is a dangerous yeah. world of lethal risks and priceless rewards. From the perspective of its inhabitants, it is hostile place that seems to be actively trying to kill any creature that has the audacity to just live there. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. That's, the danger... <laughs> the danger is unrelenting, precarious terrain, cunning predators, that's that's worth noting, and natural disasters on massive world plane or planar scale scale. All present a constant challenge to survival, as do unpredictable ripples of change that wash through the plane, known to its people as the royal. <laughs> yeah. There's so yep. many things that can kill you when you. <laughs> yep. I mean, shoot! Even the mana that's in the land is wild and extremely hard to tame, and those yep. it feels almost alive when you try to wield it. And sometimes it just causes the land to manifest magical effects, much like spells do. Zendikar is a plane of yep. deadly peril, without question. That said, the deserts of that plane grow up really tough and resilient, to prepare for the dangers that well, the world they grew up caused them. If you don't, if you love wild magic sorcerer, this is the the setting to play with that effect. Even if you don't have a wild sorcerer in your group, mm-hmm. like just when they're adventure rolling on the wild magic table and poof, a fireball explodes. Like this yeah. is the world for that. Um, a little bit of history. Uh, ages ago, three alien beings of tremendous power were imprisoned on Zendikar in an effort to prevent them from consuming the entire multiverse, plane by plane. But the presence of these Eldrazi within the plane is like a festering infection within a living body. Zendikar isn't trying to exterminate all the creatures that inhabit the plane. It's been trying in vain to destroy the Eldrazi. Its inhabitants just happen to be there, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not even like the world is trying to kill you. It's trying to kill something else. You just happen to be there. What's really cool about this is like the body is fighting off an infection, right? Where sometimes it attacks the wrong thing. And that's kind of what's going on on a planner scale. Like this world is holding on to God tier dangerous entities 
and the world is kind of fighting back the best it can, which I just think is great. Yeah. That is a hell of a story, which is why I think it makes for such a fantastic D&D setting, because just stepping outside the gates uh, is is dangerous. and. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the case in the more traditional, like, Forgotten Realm settings. Hell, even being inside the gates is still dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude. So, <laughs> is there any, uh, is there any, um, uh, things, uh, details in this supplement that really was of note to you, uh, Austin? I'm, I'm trying to, like, find more about the royal specifically, but I just can't seem to find it in this document. If it is there, but, um... I guess, like, I, I like the overall theme of it is that you can kind of get really crazy specifically in this plane. Like, you could create just awful monstrosities for your players to just go up against, and it probably exists there. <laughs> like, the magic is so, like, uh, just turbulent and uh, wild and uncontainable that, like, you could just say like, "Oh, uh, sorry, guys! Uh, a giant thunderstorm the size of half the entire plane just happened to, to roll in, and the lightning is the size of an entire city." Uh, yeah. Best of luck! Don't die. <laughs> um. So you, you wanted to know what the royal was? Yes. Let me tell you what the royal is. The world shifts and moves. Everything moves. <laughs> like, it might have. It might be floating in the sky one day and end up underwater the next. I mean, um, the royal is, is kind of like an inflammation. We were using the the, the infection example mm-hmm. that persists after an infection is gone. Um, like the surface is is damaged and distorted, and that's kind of why Zendikar overall is unexplored because it's risky to go out and south. Sal- sal- you know, set up over here when it might be gone the next day. <laughs> yeah, nothing stays in place. Really makes it have to map out things. Very and, crazy. And that's what I think makes, uh, expands upon the setting being even better because you can only have like a reliable map in the immediate vicinity. Like mm-hmm. if it gets out too far, you know, hey, there's there's city ten miles. Nope, it's not there no more. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that city ten miles is now a city one thousand miles. We it's on it's somewhere else, dude. Like, uh, what I think, it kind of reminds me of Avernus in a weird way, where, like, in Avernus, like, it, it's even, like, space and time just mm-hmm. wasn't real, Same. essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so. like, yeah, uh, that thing over there, we're walk- we've been walking at it for, like, two weeks. It right? hasn't moved. It's still <laughs> the same size building. I just haven't, it's like I haven't walked for two weeks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just, oh, um, I love it. I love that. Ian, kind of was stuff. there anything that uh, you really liked about this? The Royal, that was a good one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as we kind of touched on, though, there's just so much to the setting itself. It's kind of hard to nail down anything in particular because it borrows so many elements from other settings that you can use seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. Actually, I think that might be a huge strength that you can just take any player option you want and just drop it in here, no problem. Yeah, yeah, that's, you, a, that's a really good point. I think another thing you could kind of make about this plane specifically is that you can just like anything could exist here. Yeah, anything, anything. Like, yeah, you uh, you could say like uh, 
I don't know. You could even say like uh, the more gods than that, of that probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but there's like other gods that could like exist in other planes, and suddenly they're they're existing here too because some paladin or cleric brought in like their faith, and now it suddenly is here because this is a place of unparalleled treasure at the same time. So like, of course, other people from different planes of existences are just gonna come here and try and get all of their their cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also worth noting, too, that this document also includes other race options, too, and they definitely go out their way to tell you quite a few monsters that are here. Mm. They include snapbacks for them, and even for the stuff like our main point we'll touch on here in the moment, the Eldrazi, they even say, okay, yeah. here's all the type of, of Eldrazi, and here some, are some of the snapbacks you can use for the, for the monsters of the Eldrazi. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I want to talk about is um, goblins. Um, these kind of get overlooked generally, but what's really cool about this supplement is it gives you different details on different goblin tribes and different uh, stat uh, features that they would have if they're from that tribe. For instance, the Lava Step tribe, um, the most indigenous of the goblin tribes, possesses a hard-won knowledge of geothermal uh, activity on the, the plane, right? So they get what's called Lava Step Grit. Uh, you have advantage on dexterity uh, stealth checks made when you high in rocky or uh, subterranean environments. Um, and they also get uh, – another one is the uh, the um, the core goblin trait of grit, which gives them resistance to fire and resistance to psychic damage. Um, and an AC that's 11 plus their dex. Like if a player runs in that and it uh, starts fighting a goblin and realizes it's resistant to psychic and fire damage, they'll be like, well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Yeah. So it gives you some really good details as well as some lore on the different tribes. So if you want to, if you're looking for some good lore for or goblin lore and tribe lore, uh, this definitely supplement has some really good stuff for you. Same thing yeah. goes for the elves too. So, um, but we really want to talk about the feature of note, which is the Eldrazi. Now, if you don't know, an Eldrazi is a creature type describing an ancient race native to the blind eternities that have neither physical form or color alignment. In Magic the Gathering, color alignment is representative of the mana in the universe, right? Mm -hmm. Comes from the land. Uh, their nature is ceaseless hunger, so they travel between planes, devouring the mana and life energy until the plane's destruction. Anybody seen uh, Independence Day? Uh, just saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Intergalactic aliens that space travel and just consume the plane of all of its resources, then leave. <laughs> The, the three Eldrazi Titans were bound on Zendikar in Eon's past. That's Emrakul, uh, Ulamog, and uh, Kozilek. And if I said those wrongs, eh. Emrakul <laughs> is Warp's biology, which we, we heard about in the Curse and in Innistrad, right? It changes mm -hmm. the way the creatures look. Uh, Ulamog, Warp's physical properties, changing coal into gold or water into wine. Uh, and Kazalik warps reality. Used to be that uh, travel took, you know, two days to get to the building across the street. Now it takes, you know, a, 30 seconds, you know, and it's constantly shifting and changing in reality. Yeah. Because these, these creatures infect the world, you can change and have so much fun with how... Uh, uh, Austin brought it up in Descent into Avernus. Time is altered, right? The distance traveled doesn't equal the amount of time it takes to get there, which is uh, a real uh, a way to describe that in your world. And this kind of has a mix of all those things, which just makes the whole world unpredictable. It is unknown whether the Titans exists elsewhere in the multiverse. We actually do know that 
uh, at least uh, uh, Emrakul has been in uh, Innistrad. Each Titan lives outside of the plains, so they don't actually live on the plains. They're uh, when one wants to feed, it extends parts of its body out into a plane to create a physical manifestation uh, of itself there, as well as army of drones that are basically an extension of its will. I think this is really great and is a great, and this is why I like this one last, because if you're looking for a reason to have the player's plane shift, this is it. There is an infection and curse that has been spreading. We talked about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emrakul's, right? And now the players learn that they're going to have to ch- uh, plane shift to another plane of existence to fight off this threat or stop it before it infects just their plane. And in this, they learn not only is it affecting their plane, but other planes are being affected by it as well. So I can totally see this coalescing in a um, several different groups of adventurers seeking out this this mm-hmm. threat and trying to contain it, which just seems like an absolutely amazing epic level uh, D&D campaign, in and, my opinion. And I think Absolutely. an add most to that, too, is this gives anything or anyone a target which they can go at without question. Like, no mm. matter what alignment you are, no matter what your character believes in, it's like, hey, this thing might be a problem. We need this gone. So that might be one of the few times where anybody can, evil without question, good. create evil characters, have them join the party saying, we need this gone, too. Yeah, yeah, sure, uh, that D-bag over there is c- occasionally killing innocent people, but he's also very strong, and we're about to fight a god, so... Yeah, it's The like, god will destroy everything, so... <laughs> it's like, uh, Zorix has to go... I play a character called Zorax for everyone here. Uh, he's a, a, a lawful evil kind of character, and, you know, he does evil things! He kills people! He needs... Because he believes he needs to, but, I mean, uh, he, he could have probably talked it out, but he decided not to. He decided it was easier just to put a sword through them. But even in this case, like, I mean, if you you got to survive somehow, I mean, that kind of takes precedence over everything, right? Where you're just kind of like, I yep. mean, I kind of want to survive. I mean, I'll work with you guys if I have to. I mean, uh, it's kind of like even like a murder hobo is going to be like, well, now I just get to murder hobo this giant god will attempt to. <laughs> what good does it mean to be uh, a, a villain and evil when there's nothing to be an evil and villain of? <laughs> That's a, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the uh, old uh, um, comment I've often heard in some like, evil camp- campaigns where they're trying to protect Earth from aliens. Hey, you can't take over Earth. We were here first. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, this is just, I love it. This, yeah, and and what's cool is there, and it does give you details and guides for the draw, uh, what stat blocks you can use for the Eldrazi and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when it basically comes down to it, um, this plane is just pure chaos. It really is, and I think it does an amazing job of capturing that feeling with the monsters and the Eldrazi and. The roiling or the royal as the world changes around us. The dogs will start barking again. <laughs> so, um, do you guys have anything else about these amazing supplements? I mean, we covered uh, six plane shift supplements. And... Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what my favorite one would be. I think Zendikar would still. Yeah. I kind of agree that one would probably be my favorite. Either that or, I mean, Innistrad's pretty cool, but. I'd I'd have to be in the correct mindset for Innistrad, whereas like Zendikar, you can just throw me in it and I'll have I'll have a great time. <laughs> I mean, Kalidash was the one <laughs> yeah. that I enjoyed being through the most, so there's that. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although uh, I will say, uh, 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 Dominaria, I did like that one too. I like the idea of like, uh, like the the crescent spires in the sky. I don't mm-hmm. know. That, I think that's a really cool like setting and, piece. And and once again, uh, if if you if you're just joining us or you're catching in the end, um, you can head on over to critacademy.com slash post slash episode two twenty two, and you can find a link to all these. I do think. Uh, Ian has probably been dropping those in the chat as we go as well, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, you can find them all there. Pick them all up. At the very least, they're worth adding to your cart and downloading. They're free, and they are amazing resources to if you just want to pick and ch- cherry pick from them and add different things to your setting. Yes. Uh, once again, while they're not they're not like a, a huge um, project, um, they are officially published by Wizards of the Coast, so you can uh, the content is balanced and is uh, no reason not to be able to make it available to your players if mm-hmm. you're interested. Uh, with that, I think we will close out our main topic today. Before we move on to our unearthed tips and tricks, Ian, do we have a winner today of our? Um, a, I already player forgot options. the name of it. Yeah, <laughs> our adventurers bundle six player options for the audience we do and our winner today without question is gossamer chains if you are still watching we are going to give away one more gift um so moving forward if you would like to type in uh, uh type in academy and uh, be ch- entered to win Whitaker's Well of Wondrous Items, an easy D100 table for to randomly generate magical items for your 5th edition uh, D&D campaign setting. Uh, this this a wonderful project uses prefixes and affixes to randomly generate magical loot on the fly. So if you really like, you want to give out more loot uh, in a much more randomized pattern, you want to get that action RPG feel going, this is certainly uh, a powerful tool for you. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll be giving it away free. So just type in Academy in the chat below and uh, be entered to win. Yeah. Now. Now, moving on to our Unearth Tips and Tricks. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearth Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our character concept is... Grumbar, Stone Chipper, who is a half-orc. And their basic description is, this is a short gray-skinned half-orc who is uh, perpetually holding a rock of some kind. He w- wears what? worn and beaten armor, which is also marred by tears. His hair is chestnut and curly. His ears are large, and he has a broken tusk. Personality-wise, he misses his glory days as an athlete, and he doesn't mind his current job, but it is boring in comparison, and he also lacks any moral complications. He also does what he's told by his employers, but not much else. And he spends his money on whatever he fancies at the time. And though he keeps just enough in case he needs to make a sudden job change. Now, the real curveball here is, as far as his history, he's actually a lycanthrope in disguise. His childhood dreams was to be, of all things, a miner. But he was a colossal failure at it. He, he accepted his lot in life, and he carries in odd jobs here and there. And his motivation is, he's unsatisfied with his job, and as such, is constantly on the lookout for new job opportunities. 
Huh. <laughs> a lycanthrope in disguise, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that one took me a little bit by surprise. That was def- <laughs> That's not quite a curveball as it is a nuke. <laughs> it's like, oh, by the way, I'm a, I'm a lycan. <laughs> You know, whatever. Well, he's not going to tell people that. Everyone's out to get him, usually. Yeah. Adventurers like you are just going to stab him without word. I'm going to just put a silver dagger in his neck. You're absolutely correct. What do you guys think about this uh, character concept? I just love that he's just a nonchalant, good-natured dude. Like, he's just, I'm just trying to get by in life, man. I'm just, (laughs) I tried to be a minor because I thought it'd be fun, and turns out I suck. (laughs) Just... (laughs) Now I'm here just doing bodyguard duty and uh, selling potatoes on the stall, and I don't know. It's it's just a, a really fun, easy to do character concept. Like it's just just plugging and go. I love it. <laughs> Ian, do you have anything to add? Definitely is a wild, wild card character who seems to all the glance even boring, but there's just enough hidden underneath the surface where you just don't know what they're gonna do. Yeah, I'm a lycanthrope, <laughs> right. apparently. Like, <laughs> just, you know, whatever. Oh, wonderful. All right, uh, that'll do it for our character concept. Use it as an NPC, use it as a PC. It's up to you. Yeah, it's uh, all up to you. We'll try to bring you some fat loots <laughs> that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Uh, all right, so our next honor tips and trick is our monster variant of the podcast. We have... The Corrupted Gaia. So in, uh, you're going to start with the stat block of the Deva um, as your origin. We're going to drop some of its core features, which are Damage Resistance Radiant, now becomes uh, Necrotic. And its Angelic Weapons Radiant uh, becomes Necrotic. And we're going to pl- completely do away with the spell list. We're going to replace the spell list for the Corrupted Gaia. It is 11th level spellcaster for the cantrip purposes. It has At Will Chill Touch. It has resistance, and once a day, it can cast each of the following. Bestow curse, commune with nature, and contagion. Bestow what are the curse special... is so fun. Oh, God, yes. Um, what is the uh, other core features we're going to give it? We're going to give it a new action power called Corrupting Blast. The Corrupted Gaia releases a burst of enervating energy against a single target within 60 feet that it can see. The target must succeed a DC 17 con save or take 48 plus 5 necrotic damage and be incapacitated till the start of the Corrupted Gaia's next turn. A humanoid slain by the Corrupted Gaia's Corrupting Blast rises 2d4 hours later as a specter under the Corrupted Gaia's control. Ooh, that's that's nasty. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Uh, We're also going to give it two legendary actions. Um, it can either cast the can use a cantrip as a legendary action, or it also has corrupted spores, a 15 foot cloud of corrupted spores extend out from the corrupted Gaia until the end of its next turn. These spores go around corners and affect only creatures with an intelligence of five or higher that aren't undead constructs or elementals. Affected creatures have disadvantage on saving throws made against the corrupted Gaia's con- corrupting blast. I, I think like I got the, the wrong side up. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we're also going to give it spread corruption. The corrupted Gaia can re-roll to ch- re or can roll to recharge its corrupting blast. Ooh, lordy, y'all gonna get messed up with this one. Uh, <laughs> um, wow. What do you guys think of this? 
so I'm pretty sure. Does this thing still? F- does it? Does Davis fly? Yes. Yep. So this thing can fly. Yes. Yep. It can fly ninety feet. Fly yep. and blast you. Fly and blast you. <laughs> oh. To see our monster, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I could see this being really hard to deal with. I mean, it still can uh, change shape too, right? It can just mask yep, itself. Yep, I didn't get rid of that. It can still yeah. do that. Yep. It can just Cuz remember it's it's a druid. It's in the middle of, you know, this kind of being converted mm-hmm. into something else, which I'm working on the something else. So, so I just yeah, cuz I want to get let those features know because like this is stuff we didn't take away. So you have to add this on top of the stuff that you're already right. seeing. And it's right. like Oh man. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I played around early on first was the healing touch for the, the mm-hmm. Deva and having it have like a, a roll a D20 on evens it healed and on odds it uh, yeah, it inflicted hard. like diseases and stuff. <laughs> but I ended up going a different route. <laughs> okay. Um, overall, wh- how would you think your characters would feel if they ran into this in a, in a, a forest? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I... Forest is haunted. Burn it down. <laughs> burn <laughs> Come the whole on, Pookie, forest. Let's burn it down. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, uh, hey, uh, anyone know fireball? Just set the whole thing on fire. Everything. Burn it all. Burn it all ablaze. I'm. I don't want to deal uh, with this. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with any of this. <laughs> As I'm waving my arms right, like right. this, just all that gone. <laughs> Ian, what do you think? This thing be nasty. <laughs> now, um, granted. But- if I was playing my lawful evil character, I would actually be more uh, unafraid of it, actually, because of the whole he also has necrotic resistances and stuff. So he mm-hmm. can kind of because he's a uh, a uh, Azamar. So I mean, I'd be more apt and willing to be like go to toe to toe with this. I'd be mm-hmm. like kind of see it as like an interesting challenge, I suppose, because a lot of the stuff that would be normally really painful to a lot of other characters, I'm kind of more willing to stand my ground and contest with it right. but i mean this thing is still just massive and also it flies <laughs> so and that's, that's also that's, a thing is it flies that's dangerous when you've got potent spellcasting type abilities like mm-hmm. this um because i can easily see the, the the me as the dm using the fact it can fly to have it run away it's running out of servants so it flies away while it recharges its power and they come back and blast somebody flies yeah. away. <laughs> i'm so petty like that though <laughs> i mean but the fact that you if you bring a character to death um and they are turned into a specter um that is just that's horrifying for a player. It's one thing to die already to lose your character, but yeah. to watch as them grow and become a monster is just horrifying. And I also <laughs> want to point out to you, you did not remove its uh, change shape ability, which also to basically polymorph. So yeah, yep. uh, like this whole, I could man, <laughs> uh, this. I mean, fun. It, it's fun. I I like the concept. It's just I'm like trying to rack my brain. Like I need like I would have to have like dominate monster or something to like get near this thing because like it's just gonna fly away and it's just well, gonna at be level 10 most i think most of the players might have access to something similar yeah i guess magic that's item fair. or spell wise mm-hmm. um it is worth noting that i also think this makes a good big bad where the play the the villages started seeing ghosts of uh 
you know, some of the farmers and stuff that have gone missing, they return and start, you know, attacking people as these spectral ghosts. And the players have to, or the characters have to venture out and figure out what's causing it. And mm-hmm. it turns out that um, this corrupted Gaia went from a very nice, you know, like river druid type thing um, to being infected. And so when people were adventuring into her forest, instead of scaring them away like she normally would have, she's now just slaughtering them and ra- they're raising up as her own minions and are now mm-hmm. starting to, to run into town to keep people from venturing back into their territory. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a um, very fun monster. I would love to fight this one day. <laughs> maybe even two. <laughs> Alright. Well, uh, Careful what I'll, you ask I'll, for. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll make that happen, right? I, I, right, I, I uh, like hard fights. Uh, we've, we're, we're, we're all aware of this. Yes. Um, I feel like you're the person I've actually mind-controlled more than any other player and had yes. you beat other people. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So that'll do it for our monster variant, the Corrupted Gaia. If you like this and you want to see more, you can head over to our Patreon. I do fully fleshed-out monsters with backstory and lore mm-hmm. uh, with some beautiful art and excellent layout for our patrons. Um, so check it out. Uh, all right. So moving on to our next on our tips and trick uh austin would you like to tell us about our encounter of the podcast absolutely uh so the encounter of the podcast is ride the waves not quite like surfing but i would like it to be i would like to imagine that one day uh (laughs) where the player characters just kind of go on surfboards and they do a contest or something uh the characters (laughs) are called to a tropical fuck is it archipelago yes that's good enough i don't know a massive sea storm is on its way. The local nobles have called for aid from the adventurers. At Lirn, uh, Melexoth. Oh my goodness, you're going to kill me with these uh, fantasy-generated names. Sorry. <laughs> Triton, uh, has swam ahead of the incoming storm with a warning. The storm is a creation of foolishness. A water cult has used a powerful summoning ritual conjuring the Leviathan. A Leviathan's tome, Mordenkainen's tome, I suppose, is where that monster is. Yeah, thank you for telling me that. But I mean, the name afterwards is what I'm struggling with. Oh, (laughs) Elodile? Yeah, Elodile. From the plain of water, which that means nothing good could come from it. Uh, Atli Rin uh, suggests taking a large vessel and meeting the creature at sea before it makes its way to the highly populated archipelago. It's a dangerous task. The mission will require five vessels, each with a group of adventurers to surround Elodile. It's a eel crocodile mix, isn't it? I don't know. It was randomly generated. It's, so it's really, it's really coincidental that it is Dude, that way. Dan. I don't have the brain capacity or the time to come up with clever names. Generators are my jams. Yeah. An attempt to defeat the elder elemental. While the battle will be tough, the focus will be on the environmental aspect of the battle. Each slam attack that the Elodial does smashes into the vessel the characters ha- are on. When this happens, the vessel tilts, and the creatures on the vessel must succeed on a DC 15 strength throw. Uh, strength saving throw, excuse me, or be pushed 10 feet away from the elodile. Any loose objects slide and fly across the desk, deck, becoming hazardous terrain. The high winds of the storm put the entire battlefield under a constant effect of the wind wall spell. The elodile is also given the following layer action. Uh, layer actions, excuse me. Uh, the Leviathan creates strong currents. Uh, as its body moves through the water. Each creature within 60 feet of the Leviathan must succeed on a DC 20 strength saving throw or be pushed up to 60 feet away from the Leviathan. Uh, 
That's a very that's gonna be some fall damage you're gonna be taking. <laughs> no matter well, they're on, luckily they're on boats and they're just gonna end up going out in the water. I don't know if that's more or worse. I think that's worse. <laughs> uh, now I have to deal with this thing while I'm in water. Uh, if a character, however, has the sailor background, they have advantage on all saving throws and skill checks related to force movement of the layer action or slam feature. They're used to being on boats. It makes sense. Additionally, they can use a bonus action to grant advantage to a creature they can see and hear on the next saving strength saving throw against the layer action. So not only can they help themselves, they can also grab somebody and help them as well because they understand how the water works. And they're used to it. They've done it for years. Yes. Yep. And uh, so... Uh, I, honestly, I'm going to be right up front. Um, while I wrote this, I totally ripped it off one of my favorite MMOs, uh, Final Fantasy XIV. When you fight Leviathan, um, you're on the boat and he slams into it and you fall off, you die. <laughs> so the entire ship is rocking, which is something I, I feel doesn't get enough attention when fighting massive creatures in the water. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to really bring that to the forefront. Um, and I really would love to hear uh, um, your guys' thoughts on this. I know. Uh, uh, Ian, I specifically like to hear yours because I know you like to the the big combat stuff. <laughs> uh, Leviathans are nothing to joke about, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> what uh, CR are they? I done already forgot. Oh. In the, uh, do we remember? I'm looking um, it up right now. Um, Leviathan. Hi. <laughs> yeah, uh, twenty. Yep, that's it. Hi. That's right. <laughs> Strong. <laughs> um, Big, so it's, beefy. It, it's also worth noting that um, this encounter is designed to include multiple groups of adventurers, um, which is something that is uncommon. Um, but that also means as the DM, you could get really crazy with the fear-inducing slams. I mean, if at the start of the battle... The uh, the Leviathan instantly uses its lair action to just send an entire crew off into the water. At the start of the battle, the players are going to be like, crap. Like, how yeah. are we going to fight this? Um, and I think that makes for a, a good intro and fear-shaking, jarring kind of moment where they realize that there's something worse out there than just being slapped really hard by a giant fish dragon thing yeah <laughs> yeah and this is also a great introduction to the fact that there are other planes of existence don't mess mm -hmm. around we are on a right. kind plane in comparison most times <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is horrifying to think about when you know liches exist <laughs> right i um, think this reinforces i'm gonna be honest about every character i play every time we like go out on the ocean like wait we're going on a boat on the ocean you do know what lives in the ocean, right? <laughs> Krakens be here. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Be here. I would rather run to the moon than be in the ocean. At least on the moon, I know I'm going to die in a pretty precise way. In the ocean, I don't know what's going to happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a bigger fish. The uh, the thing that I really like about this is you can expand on this quite a bit. I actually had more to this, but for the purposes of shortening it for the show, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I had to cut a lot out. But I like the idea of including some sort of mechanism that the players have to uh, keep tinkering with. Like if I had an artificer uh, in my group, I would love the idea of having like uh, each of the ships have like a Tesla coil thing that snags it and you have to keep it functioning in particular 
and 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 maintaining it during the battle and kind of throw in a skill challenge into it mm-hmm. and applying some sort of weakness to maybe lowering the DC of the attacks or or something like that while it's in place. So the players can choose to use it, but maybe they they don't want to. It breaks and they're just like, screw it, we'll just fight. Um, it is worth noting that spells like Banishment work very potent on these. But yes. the Leviathan does have legendary resistance three a day, so it's going to take a few attempts before it just works. But yep. that is certainly something to uh, keep it, uh, keep in mind as a DM if you run this monster, if your players are going to spend the resources to try to banish it. But even still, resisting it three times in three rounds still can make for an intense battle. I and also even specific- on top of that, like mm-hmm. it has an extremely high save as well. So like yes. you would need like and i know like these characters are going to be strong to begin with to even contest this Mm -hmm. thing but it can only go so far before this thing's rolling like a d20 and it's like ah it's 16 even though i rolled like a two (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like it's like eh, yes but also (laughs) there's an asterisk there um and it is worth noting that i left it particularly vague on what happens when you fall in water um, what I intended before I had to cut it away was the, the, the Viathan is an elemental. It controls the water. I'm instantly thinking of a funnel that is sucking all the creatures into it. Um, and basically potentially drowning the player characters. Now this makes spells like fly and, uh, b- underwater breathing become immensely important. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so preparation of the bat combat becomes almost as important as the battle itself in a big giant elemental boss battle like this. Yeah. Um, the big thing to note once again is in order to make it feel really, um, epic, you know, you need to have debris flying across every time the Leviathan slams into it. And, you know, maybe you just roll everyone, give a deck stave. And if they fail, they take a couple points of bludgeoning damage from random, you know, tackle box or, or, or cart cart that just kind of flails about or maybe a door that came off its hinges those are the little things that as a dm you're going to want to include and make sure you uh bring into full force for your 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 combat scenario but i promise this will be a memorable moment your players will not forget Mm -hmm. so and i do think it's a nice touch too though that those with the seller background taking well backgrounds into account into the actual gameplay is a nice touch yes yeah I, uh, and, and anybody that listens to our show knows that I actively try to do that because despite the background just being a background, in my opinion, it should be leveraged in every possible case. So I always try to consider that. And I encourage you DMs and GMs to, to consider those backgrounds when making decisions on things when you build your encounter. For mm. this one, not only the sailor being able to get advantage on all those saves, but also being able to shout commands and give it to at least one other person can offset some of the weaker, uh, physically weaker characters in that respect. So yeah. that's very important. So, uh, anything else? No, that's that's good. We we really covered it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Next up, we have our magic item, Dust of the Fallen. Ian, would you like to tell us about that? Dust of the Fallen is a wondrous item, which is also rare. This ashen black sand can only be found around desecrated lands, a place where blood was spilled during an evil ritual, such as a human sacrifice. When you cast a spell of first level or higher from the Necromancy School of Magic, you can add the Dust of the Fallen to the med- material components of the spell. If you do, the spell is cast as if it was one level higher, up to a max of ninth level. 
this consumes the the only the original spell slot. You can apply multiple uses of Dust of the Fallen to a single spell, and if you do, the spell may backfire. And at that point, just roll a d20. If you roll less than 10 plus the number of uses of the Dust of the Fallen, the spell is still successful, but 1d4 hostile ghoul ghosts are conjured to the nearest unoccupied space around the caster. And on top of that, an arcana check of DC-17 is required to gather and store the dust. On a success, the creature gathers enough material for 1d4 uses. On a failed check, the creature gathering the material suffers the effect of the rate enfeeblement for 24 hours. And this can only be removed by the remove curse spell or similar magic. Uh, All right. What do you guys think about this uh, magical reagent spell enhancing uh, dust of fallen? Could you use protection from evil Mm. and good against that? I wonder if a player took the the yeah. Why wouldn't you? If if the player character thought ahead of time to do that, hell yeah, yes you can. It's just like I mean the the question is is this an inherent? Well, I guess it's on desecrated land, so. Yeah, yeah, I guess. yeah, it's not just any. You have to find something that's been like corrupted, which is really something the GM has control over, right? Yeah. Um, and that's something to keep into consideration with any magical item, even whether it's <laughs> one of these um special mm-hmm. reagents to enhance spells. Uh, anybody that's been following the show knows that we've been recently experimenting with um, reagent enhancing uh, spell enhancements, uh, buff foods that can give you temporary, you know, spell effects uh, by crafting them through like uh, special merchants or, or even maybe a chef. And um, what do you mm-hmm. guys uh, think about this one increasing up a, a spell level? Uh, I think that is, uh, I mean, I'm always a fan of that. I always like, uh, especially with necromancy, it's always fun. It's fun stuff to work with. Um, it's, I like the fact that you are, which is very, again, I really like it because it's very warlocky, very like necromancy, mm-hmm. where it's like, you may absolutely use more of this desecrated powder. However, <laughs> if you do, things may go wrong. Be prepared well, for that. Yeah, specifically the ghost summoning. Um, ghosts can possess people. So you might end up be giving up more than just a few hit points. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Wait, is that the... Yeah, that's the ghost one. If you if you take the risk of casting it. Um, so you very well be losing your freedom of will for a little while. Uh, and that's just one of... I mean, obviously, if it attacks you, you're boned too. So there's a lot yeah. of different things you can do off that. As well as the arcana check required. If you fail, you suffer the ray of enfeeblement. Which is yeah. like half damage from your your. Uh, it's not uh, good. <laughs> your half damage from weapon attacks uh, for a long time, but uh, Ian, what do you think? Just the fact that this one the uh, items you made that allows you to upcast is a nice touch, but there's a price for it to be paid potentially. Yes, and I think that, and that's kind of what I wanted to go with this because I thought that. If there was a thing to make my, me more powerful, what would the cost be? Would it be loss of hit points? Nah, those are easily replaceable. Is it exhaustion? Eh, if it was a little more potent, maybe. But mm-hmm. what if I tied it to the desecrated lands? Well, what would happen? I was like, well, ghosts, duh. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's something different I can do. Um, yeah. And then, of course, I, I always include the the harvesting mechanic, right? Because mm-hmm. to me, that gives another layer of, instead of you just found it, it's like, oh, you guys... 
I might be able to benefit from this 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 stuff if I use my crafting on it and try to get it. But if I get it wrong, I'm boned. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of so. like that one time where we uh, we harvested uh, a bunch of red crystals in Avernus, and you're like, "Yeah, these are by the way bombs. Careful." <laughs> we were yeah, like, and then you end up uh, using them later, right? We did, but we also set off the bombs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll teach you to be careful when harvesting stuff, right? But um, I mean, it did a... lead to the cathedral that we needed to go into, so hey, good on us. <laughs> um, I would like to encourage all dungeon masters, uh, when you're uh, creating magic items for um, yourself, consider more contemporary ones. Uh, things like this Dust of the Fallen or other reagents that can uh, enhance and empower spells or even just buff up characters temporarily you can give out way more of those without risk of imbalancing the game. Because either they're going to save and just hoard them and never use them, or they're going to save, hoard them, and use them all at once, and then they're just going to feel like they just stomped the big bad guy with no effort, which is still rewarding uh, to them because they feel like they earned it, even mm -hmm. though it might be a little easier steamrolling it. Or they might use it regularly and feel like they're constantly being rewarded by being able to pick up these consumables. So, um, yeah. Do you guys have anything else for Dust of the Fallen? Nope, pretty good. Pretty good stuff, as always. Though I guess I'm on the show. <laughs> yeah, you're a bias. I think we all are a little bit, but I think you so. know, that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, all right, moving on to our next Unearthed Tips and Trick. We have our Dungeon Master Tip. Don't panic! Uh, let's be honest. When things veer off in an unexpected direction, first and foremost, don't panic. Take a deep breath, consider your options, decide what's next, and keep things going. If you really are thrown from a loop for a loop, take the opportunity for a break, grab a drink, use the bathroom, and get some fresh air, or otherwise give you a moment to collect your thoughts. Resist the impulse to immediately negate whatever it is your players did to bring the situation about. To quote Marvel comic runaways, a good GM always lets his players feel like they're in control when they're really not. Reversing player decisions is a sure way to make them feel like they are not in control over the direction of the game, which can bring everyone's fun to a screeching halt. So avoid telling other players, no, you can't do that if you can. What do you guys think about that? I am 100% for this. I think it is... Cause I, and I've done this, uh, where I always said, give me just a second on that. Because I've, I've DM'd a, a few times, uh, where there was this one player, he wanted to... Uh, again, players, you never know what they want to do sometimes. Just, even though when I'm like, oh, I think I got this guy's character down. I think I know what he's going to do here. And, you know, I've dangled this you know, thing in front of him where like, yeah, you could totally do this. And he didn't. He decided that he was going to get someone else to do it for him. And I was like, huh? <laughs> what? Huh? How? And I'm uh, like, oh, okay. Uh, let me just think of a, of an NPC real quick. Uh, give me a second. <laughs> yeah. I had to think of some NPC that was part of his like organization or something. I'm like, I, I don't, I get, uh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I mean, the most I, I definitely agree though there are definitely times where a DM needs to just pause for a moment take a breath and figure out how do I work this in or how do I say yes to the player but so it makes sense yeah and even mundane things can, th can throw you off like I remember one time where we weren't using a, ma a map mind you but there mm. were spiral staircases going up a tower and as they were being pursued when the players cast a fireball down the spiral staircase and I actually paused and went 
How does that work exactly? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need a breather, guys. Uh, I'm going to go take a poop. <laughs> I'll be right back and scroll it on my phone. Uh, <laughs> I've never <well>. done that. <laughs> I'll just be a second, guys. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> um, overall, oh God, oh this, is, this is pretty straightforward, but this is an easy situation for many dungeon masters to get caught up in. So mm-hmm. um, definitely just chill and don't panic. There, I will say though, there is probably some situations where you're like, mm, "Sorry, but your character can't." Add, there's no realistic way they can do this, even in a fantasy setting. Like, right. uh, yeah, can I just like punch this dragon to the moon? Uh, can you? <laughs> is, <laughs> is that, that a thing you where, can do? <laughs> Where's that on your character sheet, please? Yeah, uh, exactly. Let me see that. Like, obviously, uh, you there can certainly are... punch him, but uh, I don't know about to the moon, buddy. You can certainly try. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you hit him, and his jaw like tickles, and he scratches. <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> All right, that'll uh, do it for our uh, dungeon master tip. Don't panic. Our player tip of the podcast is: Don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by locking the door. Austin, would you like to tell us about it? Especially I would love to because I'm a rogue and I love this. <laughs> now, lock the door. In the life of dungeon calling adventures, sometimes there are encounters best left avoided. Or perhaps you don't want the big bad calling in for reinforcements. Now, there's a number of ways you can go about to do these. Now, using sneaking tactics, creating distractions, or maybe you're a Jedi mind tricking your way in. Uh, or, you know, any form of deception. Uh, one in particular is often overlooked. Ever just consider just, I don't know, turning the deadbolt? You know, it's... it's I, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that's just dumb. You're in the enemy's fortress. They have to have keys or it can just kick it down right there's no way and in most cases sure uh but what about using like the arcane lock spell to stall or slow the enemies think about it in many cases the heroes end up in a room with a big bad enemy guy they uh walk right into the entrance half the time not even bothering to shut or lock the door arcane lock not only takes an action it lasts for 10 minutes well enough for the encounter time uh, you can then set a password to allow it to open when you're ready to leave or ambush any on your way in or out and are loaded on, uh, I'm sorry, uh, makes it fan, yeah, isolating a particular enemy, excuse me. And then additionally, if uh, you're on your way in or out and are loaded on spell slots, uh, you could just lock rooms as you creep through them. Uh, that way nobody can challenge you and your party, at least not in most cases. And there's not a lot of people who can just be like, I'm going to dispel this lock real quick. Yep. Uh, spellcasters <laughs> with knock or someone that can roll extremely high to break the plus 10 bonus to DC still may be an issue, but it's roll with the risk. Also, if they have doors to begin with, uh, they're probably made to keep people out in their particular stronghold. So, you know, if you're in a place with giants... There's going to be gigantic doors that are made to keep other giants out if they can lock them. Because yep. how else are you supposed to keep the privacy of the place? So, yes. yes. Closing the door and locking it is still extremely viable. <laughs> it's also worth mentioning, too, that I've definitely heard plenty of uh, other old school parties talk about like what, taking like a spike and wedging them into the do- sides of the door to keep the door shut so they can rest. It's worth noting that Arcane Lock lasts... Ten minutes. No, that's nope. not right. No. It's not 10 minutes? I think it's longer than that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, I think it lasts until dispelled. I'm not sure how I goofed that up. Uh, 
Yeah, it lasts until dispelled, not ten minutes. So, <laughs> oh yeah, never mind. Yeah, uh, it's so that's way a longer. big. That's a big. Uh, oops, on my mistake. I apologize. Um, it's worth noting uh, that this is casting, a great. If okay, you... okay. Casting knock on that suppresses it for ten minutes. That's probably what, what uh, happened. Okay, okay. I got you. I got <laughs> you. That makes sense. Uh, anyways, this is a great and powerful tactic for players that want to avoid being chased out of the dungeon or reinforcement showing up. So, um, I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be, be a, dick. a dick. And you can avoid dickitude by locking the door. Um, before we give away our, our, our next uh, project, I'd just like to take a moment. If you like our owner tips and tricks and you want to, you like our show in general, you can head on over to CritAcademy.com or Patreon.com slash CritAcademy. We have been publishing uh, books containing all of our uh, owner tips and tricks just for you. We also have a magazine now, so you can pick that up uh, for a couple of bucks and get access to all this stuff. So, uh, all right. Uh, we have another prize to give away, our Whitaker's Well of Wondrous Items, a D100 table for randomly generating magic items. Ian, who is our winner today? Well, I gotta roll for it still. And our oh, winner let's hear it. is... Ooh. Zulandi221. If you were here and you didn't win... Or if you're here and later and not watching now and didn't win, not a problem. You can head on over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe for your chance to win. Every week on every episode, we give away two pieces of fat loots, which has been revolving every single week. So definitely uh, head on over and check that out. Um, mm -hmm. We want to thank Dungeon Con, Goodman Games, Coldball Press, DMs Guild for hosting Dungeon Con online. We've had a blast. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much. It's been awesome. Um, if you would like to, please consider joining us on our next episode. Uh, we'll be discussing top 10 spells with alternative uses, kind of like the arcane lock we talked about. Uh, if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, please visit us at CritAcademy.com. Follow us on social media at CritAcademy or consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Even if you don't have an iTunes account, you can still leave a review. That way, we, the podcatchers will know that you like us and show us to more people. Uh, okay. I am your host, Justin. I'm your host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Austin. Thanks for listening. Keep your spells... Wow. I totally goofed my own line on a lot... <laughs> no. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. We'll see you guys later. See ya. <laughs>